When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Another day of OTAs week three as we inch closer to practices that almost kind of matter in mandatory minicamp and then the ones that do matter a lot in training camp. But today, Courtney, a pretty significant development. Delvin Cook back actually practicing for the first time since he tore his ACL. What do you make of Cook being ahead of schedule? You know, everybody said for so long that he's been ahead of schedule. Mike Zimmer reiterated it last week or a few weeks ago at his camp, uh, speaking to NFL Network about it. And, you know, every time that we've been able to check in with Dalvin or check in with the medical staff or check in with the coaching staff, everybody's lauding him uh, for just how quickly he's progressed through this. And I think the one thing that's kind of overlooked is, that's, you know, it was a de- such a devastating injury for him four games into his, into his rookie season. And the recovery process immediately and kind of in those first few months wasn't as quick as, you know, everybody's making this out to be, oh, he's so ahead of schedule and everything else. Now he is, but that certainly was not the case early on. And I remember we talked to him early just about how, you know, little victories of, you know, being able to be in the weight room again and, and, you know, working with your upper body to, you know, walking without the crutches to, you know, utilizing the brace and all these other things. So hearing from him today just about some of those mental hurdles that he had to cross in, in, in being able to get back on the field for the first time in eight months, that's significant. And just shows you like how, how tough of an injury any ACL. I mean, he had a, his ACL, I mean, not all ACLs are the same. Carson Wentz's is a lot different than Dalvin Cook's is a lot different than someone with a multiple ligament tear. Um, but he's, you know, I think, I think it's a really good, good sign for this team who says that, you know, he's going to be full go by training camp to have him out there in OTAs and not really. I mean, yeah, yeah, they had, they were holding back a little bit just because he wasn't, getting all the first team reps but you know 
he was out there for a good portion, and particularly with some of the situational stuff in the red zone, I thought was really critical to see him out there for. And Mike Zimmer said after practice that what they wanted Cook to start to feel again was having bodies around him, legs around him, people falling, and being in the red zone situations is kind of perfect for that, and he wasn't really getting the ball uh, for the most part there. He maybe touched a couple of handoffs, but Clearly, they're not tackling because everyone's in shorts and with no pads. He did motion out and line up as a wide receiver once, which I think... Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I think we will see that at some points. Pat Shermer, I think, wanted to do it, but he didn't get to it in the first couple of weeks very often. I think there was maybe one catch that he had where he did line up as a wide receiver, but I wouldn't be surprised if DeFilippo does it because... He was able to do that when he was at Florida State. There were even times where he could run a go route or something like that. And that's why Cook is so valuable. And to have him back is such a good sign for this offense to have him ahead of schedule because maybe now we don't have to temper the expectations so much. Although I guess it could also be a little dangerous to judge just having him back here at the end of OTAs and going into to minicamp. But for me, I'm looking at him as he's going to be back to Delvin Cook by the time he starts the season. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's always some sort of trepidation there. You know, as much as Dalvin said, you can't think about it. You can't play apprehensively. Uh, your injuries happen. You're going to get hit. You're going to get banged up. You have to battle through it. But I do think that there will be some sort of, um, you know, apprehension just from the standpoint of his workload where the coaches are going to, kind of want to reel him in a little bit at first to make sure, hey, we we were kind of on pace last year to overwork you uh, to a point where you were going to be exhausted and your body was not going to be the same towards the end of the season. So finding that perfect mix uh, for him and just, you know, how many reps and, you know, what's appropriate, especially starting out early because you don't want to put your foot to the pedal week one and, you know, potentially risk, like, He's not 100% or, you know, there might still be some learning curve in getting back to who he was. Uh, I think that's the only thing that would cause, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit of pausing. Uh, But, you know, all signs point to the fact that he's right on schedule, if not further ahead of schedule than we expected him to be at this point. Um, You know, I, I, to your point about the wide receivers, when I think it was, you know, Everybody motioned out to the right of Cousins. It was, help me here, I think it was Thielen, Diggs, and Treadwell, or maybe, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then Cook was kind of right behind them. Um, so it's going to be really cool to see what John Filippo does, kind of what we saw in Atlanta a few years ago with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman, where you can have one in the backfield, one in the slot. I think they've got absolutely every tool in place uh, to be able to utilize cook more in the passing game and especially um you know in the short passing game and the screen game I mean we saw 11 times last year for 90 yards where he excelled doing that and it was cut too short I think his ceiling is so high for what for his involvement and what he can do in the passing game and that was the one thing that we didn't see from Pat Shermer last year was putting both running backs out at the same time. And I had expected them to do that because occasionally they were out there during training camp, but in the first four weeks, Latavius Murray was struggling a bit. He was coming off of off-season ankle surgery and didn't really have his burst back. And then when he got uh, when Delvin Cook got hurt, you know, they went Murray and Jarek McKinnon. They didn't use him on the field at the same time very often. I thought that was an opportunity missed a little bit. Not that you could complain 
a lot about Pat Shermer, but thinking about McKinnon's skill set, Cook can do a lot of the same things, if not everything, that McKinnon could in the receiving game, and that might be an option that DiFilippo takes. Now, my question for you is, knowing that he's back now, knowing that he is on pace to be right there week one and, and go and try to play 16 games, What's a reasonable statistical expectation for Delvin Cook if he plays 16 games? In terms of yardage or in terms of yards, terms of what? receptions, I mean, touchdowns are hard to figure out. Plus, they love Latavius at the goal line. But if you were talking about yards, yards per carry, and catches, what, what's, what's too much? What's fair? What, what are you thinking about? Because I look at him as being, if he's back to 100%, He's the centerpiece of the offense. He's where yeah. everything is going to start. And then, of course, you've got the wide receivers and everybody else. But it, he's going to be the one that is the beginning of this Vikings offense. So when he went down last year, he was second in terms of workload, only behind Todd Gurley. Um, do I expect that to continue? Probably not, Just because, at least just right away. I think it's going to become more balanced because he had 74 uh, 74 rushes for 354 yards and two touchdowns by the time he got injured. Um, you know, if that, if you're continuing that, you're saying that he's on pace then for Alvin Kamara type numbers, which I do think he can obtain. Um, and especially the fact that it's not like a really a true two back system the way that New Orleans has, that he would be still more of that focal point. Um, I could, I could see numbers that are, you know, upwards of, you know, I get, I what, do you think 1,200, 1,300 yards rushing is too much? No, that's actually that's, that's what where I would like, That's where I'd yeah. like to see it. I would and have said 1,200. And as far as the yeah, – I don't have Jarek's stats right in front of me. Granted, I could look it up because my computer's sitting here, but I digress. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if you're expecting maybe around the 400 to 500 yards receiving – um, that's, that's more of a conservative bet. I would even up that maybe 100 yards for Dalvin Cook. I don't think that it's completely unreasonable to... Especially if you're going to use him as a receiver, like we saw today. Yeah, to, to put him in that category already of LaShawn McCoy, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, guys who play all three downs, and, and I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of Latavius Murray. We didn't last year at the beginning of the season when Cook was as good as he was, and if he's right back to where he was in week four, where he was really taking over that game and had already an amazing game against the Bucks. He was very good against Pittsburgh, had a great debut. I mean, maybe he set the bar a little too high, but when you look around the league at the best running backs, they can do it all just like him on all three downs, and they make a huge impact in the in the passing game too, like Todd Gurley did. That's kind of where I expect Delvin Cook. And when you're talking about those checkdowns and dump-offs and screens, to have a guy who can create big plays off of those – will take a lot of pressure off of Kirk Cousins. And that's something that Delvin said he's really looking forward to doing is making life easier for Cousins in the passing game. Yeah, I mean, God, like, as I as I asked him, I was like, have you ever seen anybody sell a ball fake better than Kirk Cousins? Um, you know, our, our, our favorite term, good in the boots. I mean, the play-action <laughs> game should really benefit Cousins by having Dalvin Cook available uh, at his disposal, where, you know, I, I agree. With, I think that's, you know, it's, the sky's the limit for, for that asset that Cousins possesses and what he has in a weapon with Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, to, to, to think just how, how much he, they, they had explosive plays last year. I'm not saying they didn't. Jarek McKinnon was a huge part of that once Cook went down. 
but what they're going to get back by having Cook back um, and being able, you know, this is a guy who in, in an outside zone scheming, all he needs to do is find a crease and he's gone. Um, this is going to be a chance where he can get it once he gets his feet under him and seeing how he cuts and seeing how comfortable he is. I mean, they talk about making plays in space. He's not somebody who needs a whole ton of space to make plays. Uh, he he can do just fine in his own, uh, you know, by you know finding a seam and you know becoming a home run hitter. Uh, and I think that that's going to be such a critical part of John, what John D. Filippo dials up and, and, and you know putting a lot of pressure on Cook while still trying to maintain the workload and not overwork him. What Latavius Murray's role is. I mean, they've talked about it all off season that they wanted to keep that backfield together. He restructured his deal uh, to, you know, take about, I guess, a million and a half less, and he's a free agent after this season. How much his role changes, I would say, probably considerably once Cook is, you know, back in and healthy. But you know, still a, a great goal line threat, and you know, somebody good on, you know, short, you know, short yardage. Yeah, I look at him as being like a just in case sort of option, or like you're winning and you need someone to just grind out those yards, and you don't want to wear down Delvin Cook. Mike Zimmer talked about that, I think, all the way back at the Combine when yeah. we asked him about the workload and what he wants for an, a running back in the NFL today because we know that those guys like Sean Alexander and Larry Johnson who ran 400 times in a year, their careers were over pretty quick. And we see now, this is where age curves, sometimes when people bring up age curves, I kind of bristle a bit because they're always evolving where running backs are playing more of a role as receivers so they can go into their late 20s or maybe even into their 30s and still have an impact like LaShawn McCoy has. He's been one of the best in the NFL into a later age, in part because he's a big receiving factor too, I think. And the workload has gone down for all of these guys. So that will help if they're grounding, uh, you know, grinding out wins by having Latavius Murray play like a LeGarrette Blunt type role of just pounding away when you're up by 14 points in the fourth quarter. Um, doesn't this Delvin Cook conversation and seeing him out there today doesn't it bring you back to Kirk Cousins and the expectations that exist this year? That's where it takes me of, okay, if Delvin Cook is what he is, that's a superstar level player. Adam Thielen was named the 36th best player. Uh, Stefan Diggs was in the top 100 as well in those NFL countdowns. You got a tight end who helps you in the red zone. You got another slot receiver, Kendall Wright, who's going to have some sort of role. You've got this really brilliant offensive coordinator who might end up being a head coach someday. Like, everything is in place. It's basically, can you get the job done, Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I think the expectations are never going to go away. It's only going to continue to ramp up, and he's going to be asked about it at every turn like he already is. Um, It's just, you know, how he shoulders it, I'm not worried about. It's just a matter of, is he as good as we think he is? And right now we have such a limited sample size because of what we're seeing in OTAs, you know, the offense is still in a relatively vanilla state. I mean, they're not really practicing mismatches. I mean, yeah, they've seen certain things like with the tight ends, for example, um, they know how players line up. Uh, they're not really doing a whole ton of it themselves, but you know, a lot of the pre-snap motion and all that stuff um, is what makes this offense so great. It's it really, it all does rest on cousin's shoulders as to how, getting this team orchestrating every piece of this team to get his playmakers the ball. Um, and I don't think those go away. I think that it's like every, as you said, with, you know, at every turn, 
somebody else in the Vikings is being praised for, you know, so-and-so on the NFL's top 100 list. And then Dalvin Cook and the expectations for him to have another really explosive season and pick up where he left off. And, you know, Kyle, Kyle Rudolph in the end zone and all of that. I mean, everything is set up for him not to fail. If he fails, you wonder, I mean, is that on him? Like, I mean, it has to be, uh, assuming no injuries and other stuff like that. And that's where it's so interesting to me because I don't think there's ever been a time where Kirk Cousins has had this in his entire career. Even at Michigan State, they had expectations, but not national championship necessarily expectations. And he was always a guy who was barely recruited by Power 5 teams and then ends up being a starting quarterback. He's always had this overachieve type of thing for him and even with Washington last year I don't think that anyone in DC thought oh yeah this team is going to go win the Super Bowl in 2016 maybe was the highest after he had a really good 2015 but nothing like this they knew that that team had big holes especially on defense here you get the number one defense and all these playmakers it really changes the narrative a bit from oh maybe it's management and they're dysfunctional in D.C. Well, they're not here. Or maybe the coach doesn't know defense. Well, the coach knows defense here. You know, I, I think that that's a really interesting part of that we'll be following all year is if this team goes one and two to start the season or something like that, how does Cousins react? There is – sorry, but I wouldn't more on that? Yeah, okay. I wouldn't overreact, though, because I think – like, I would. Trade him. No, not, Trade not him for Rodgers. <laughs> not saying you're overreacting. But in the grand scheme, if they do lose a couple games here and there early, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out because I think that this offense is still meshing. Um, and even then, I mean, your audibles are not going to come into place until after camp, probably, or late in camp. They're not, and Kyle Rudolph mentioned it today too. You know, it's offense is a foreign language. It's the same stuff that they ran last year by and large, uh, to a degree. But it's a different language. It's different terminology. I mean, I'm sure some of the base plays are, are the same, but a lo- it takes an offense a long time to gel. This isn't something that you can just, you know, overnight and expect that, hey, all right, there's a few months here. Cousins is ready to go. I mean, it's going to take some game action. I think the preseason is going to be heavily important for Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, even in just like, you know, the few, whatever, however many series he's in, just to get a feel for it because – once the season starts, I mean, there's no real time to get on the same page. You better be on the same page or it's going to be a long, rough few months um, getting through the first half of the season. And then by, you hope by this, you know, after the bye week that they'd be good to go. But a few, I would have, you know, if it's, I mean, if it's a one and two, of course, it's disappointing. Of course, that, you know, kind of dashes some of the expectations, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. With the state of the offensive line as it is right now and all the uncertainty, we still don't know, um, you know, who's going to be starting at right guard, who's going to be starting at right tackle. We know what the combinations are, and I'm sure we'll go over those. But I I just wouldn't think that it's the worst, like, case scenario, like, oh, my God, they should have stayed with Keenum uh, type, you know, freak out if Cousins – gets off to a slow start. That's a really interesting question. What would have to happen this year in order for people to say should have stayed with Keenum? It would have to be... If Keenum has any sort of relative success to yeah. Cousins or an ounce more. That's it. Um, if if the Vikings went 
nine and seven and the Broncos go 10 and six, they're, there's going to be some people being like, Oh, see, you guys screwed up. Shouldn't have gotten rid of him. I mean, it's, I think Teddy is the one that could really do this though. Right. I mean, with reports from New York, that Teddy's looked really good in OTAs and his knee is holding up so far. And of course that's super, super early, but if he wins that job and has a great season, I, I would say more people would look at Teddy if he has a great season and say, you should have kept him on the cheap. Then even if Keenum is pretty good, right? Like, because yeah, there are so I mean, many Teddy fans. Oh, totally. And I mean, Whatever happens with Teddy, you know, I will find out soon. Um, obviously the stuff last week that, you know, hey, he's looking better than medical reports revealed or whatever it was. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if somehow he's on that roster, cause I'm still thinking with the contract he was given and just what Mike Zimmer said about his knee, uh, during exit after exit physicals and all the stuff that they learned, that would, I don't know. That to me is, it's such, it's still such a stretch for him if he's going to make this roster at all. But if he wins the starting job and if he's better, I mean, you know, I think it would, I don't know. I think it would take a lot for him to, to up Kirk Cousins. Um, just given kind of what we know about the knee. I mean, that's why I'm kind of having a hard time articulating this. I can articulate it from, you know, the 30,000 foot level. If Teddy's better than Kirk, then yeah, there's going to be a ton of, you know, buyer's remorse and regret they got rid of him because of what could have been. Um, but, I mean, I still think it's way too early to even speculate about something like that. Oh, I agree. It's just uh, something that I'll be watching really closely all season is how the other quarterbacks that they let go, how they perform. Because with each one, you could totally justify what they did. It's not like they had no reason for moving on from Bradford or no reason for moving on from Keenum or Bridgewater. But Bridgewater is the most interesting because if he performs really well and he looks like a franchise quarterback in New York, which will be tough considering that team is bad, but let's say he does. Let's say he pulls some sort of miracle and they're in the playoff race and he's playing really well, like a Pro Bowl level, let's just say, then it will be worth asking, so what was the deal with his knee then? Because that because (laughs) we... Right? We, I don't we, know if we'll ever honestly know. Yeah, we like, know we know that Bridgewater had, had enough concern there to move on from him, that Zimmer wanted him as his franchise quarterback. But if he ends up doing really well there, we're always going to kind of shake our heads and say, okay, what did you guys see that didn't come to fruition with his knee? Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest unknown with with this organization, that I don't know if we'll ever truly know the scope of how bad his knee was. Um, at the end of the year when they did exit physicals, um, and where he really was. I mean, from everything that I heard, the, if it, if it wasn't Kirk Cousins, then it was Case. And if they couldn't, if, if it wasn't Case, then it was Bradford and that Bridgewater would have been a combination of staying with Case, staying with Bradford. I mean, it never was the, we're totally confident in bringing him back just mm-hmm. where he's the guy. So random question for you before I move on to more OTA stuff. If Case Keenum had gone, let's say, 20 for 30 with two touchdowns, no picks, and lost the NFC Championship, is he the quarterback right now? Oh, man. Um, No, and I'm going to say it because I just think that they they see it as lightning in a bottle. And a a quarterback like Kirk Cousins does not come available on the market ever. 
I mean, we saw it twice in the salary cap era with Drew Brees and with Peyton Manning. It doesn't happen. So I think that the market demanded they go after Kirk Cousins, who they look at, you know, they look at his numbers and they look at just the sample size that he's technically done this longer over over a course of a longer stretch than Keenum, who was a journeyman backup. Um, that's I still think they go after Cousins. Yep, I think so too. I I don't think that they ever truly believed that the Case Keenum that they had last year was one that would hold up year after year. And even if he had played well in that game, they still would have gone back to, well, Cousins has a much bigger sample of playing well, so we need a quarterback that we can rely on, and and we're going to bring him in. Um, Anyway, just one of those fun hypotheticals, or at least fun to me. Uh, Mike Remmers is at guard again. What do you yeah. make, what do you make of Mike Remmers at guard for the second straight week? Big old guard over they got over there. At, yes, very uh, large guard. Uh, the right side of the line. I'm not surprised. I think that the way the offensive line is right now, we see we see two straight weeks of Reef, uh, Tom Compton, Nick Easton, Remmers, and then Rashad Hill. That is you. I mean. Of course, at some point you get Pat Elfline back, so then Easton goes back to left guard, and and Elfline goes to center. I'm trying to do this in my head. It's five. It's five players, but like picking where people go without like actually drawing it down is kind of weird. So, um, and then it's like, well, what happens at right guard? Remmer stays at right guard, and Hill stays at le- at right tackle. I think it's your safest combination for now. Um, whether that's the case, you know. Four games into the season, we shall see if Rashad Hill is able to hold up multiple weeks in a row, starting at right tackle. Um, I mean, the witness is still out on that, but you know, Rembers is a very solid option for them at guard, and I think that you know this is probably something we're going to continue to see them switch around and play with. But this would not, this line right here would not surprise me week one. I Yeah, I would bet on that, too. I would bet on the elf line coming back. He's at center. Easton moves over to left guard. And if they decide on this early, that would be beneficial for them, I think, is let's get this figured out in, like, mandatory minicamp and roll with it into camp and have these guys as our five starting offensive linemen. We know what we're getting at here and go from there. And then you can mix and match the backups so they're going to be more comfortable at each spot. But last year, even though it worked out for them, going into week one, not really being sure if the offensive line was going to be able to gel together, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's really not something that you want to risk doing again. And that could have blown up in their face. It ended up not with how it worked out. And that decision to have Easton at left guard, I think, was a good one. But this time around, especially with Rashad Hill, get him at right tackle all the way through training camp and have those two together. And maybe that will help improve his run blocking because that was the area that I thought he struggled the most last season. Yeah. I mean, that to me, this can't be something that you're, I mean, you can tinker all you want right now, but have something in place. So come, come camp, we know what the position battles are and we know that you're not moving Mike Remmers back and forth, just, you know, trying to try out different combinations. I mean, Pick something and stick with it because that you don't – I covered this with the Raiders before, especially with the right tackle position. It's something I said to somebody recently. You don't want that to become a revolving door. Like that is – I think you have that risk at either position. I think the bigger risk is your bookend. Um, you know, of course the defenses and where the interior push is coming, you want to have a solid guard option. And 
you know, what's more important? Where do you prioritize? I mean, I guess we'll see depending upon where they put Mike Remmers, but that is something that you cannot toy around with, uh, you know, much longer. You got to start going with what you think your, your combination is going to be. So let's say that it's that, uh, pick from one of these choices. Are they a top 10 offensive line? somewhere between 10 and 20 or somewhere between 20 and 32, 21 and 32. Middle of the pack, I'd probably say. I think they're very, I think they're serviceable right now. Uh, they didn't fill the need at, they didn't fill the need at guard. I mean, that's, that's a fact. Like they had every chance to do it and we're going to know by season's end whether they shot themselves in the foot by picking Mike Hughes over Will Hernandez or Austin Corbett. Um, I, I would say maybe, 12 to, what, you, what were the numbers you put? Like 12 to 20? I or think it's somewhere in there. really top third, middle third, or bottom third. Middle third. Let's, let's go middle third. That's fine. Yeah, I would say too. The only issue with that is it's like best case scenario, they're middle third. And you don't love that. You know, you, you want to think that best case scenario, if you had added a top prospect there, and I'm not trying to go back on the draft here, but Best case scenario, if you had improved it, could have been maybe sneaking into that top 10 area. But now I think if everything goes right and Rashad Hill gets really comfortable at right tackle, the talent you have still probably suggests that best case you're going to be like 14th or 15th. And if you've got to play any backups, if Elfline gets hurt again or, you know, one of the guards, that that will change quite a bit with Compton and Isadora. I'm not sure how much I can really trust either one of those two guys to take on any sort of heavy load. So the health of the offensive line is really important. You don't want to have to force Brian O'Neill into a spot before he's ready to do that. And I would say it's a pretty big concern that some guy in Rashad Hill, as much as I appreciate what he did last year, stepping in for Mike Remmers at right tackle, I, I mean, I look at the league now, and it's not just left tackles that have all the pressure. I mean, there are right defensive. Right tackle, yeah. absolutely. Like, like, it's crazy. They're they're facing just as much, I think, that there are so many edge rushers that are really talented, and we saw this in the playoffs, that your right tackle has just as much pressure. And I, I agree. I think that's something to be concerned about. Um, Holton Hill. You uh, asked Mike Zimmer about Holton Hill and where he might fit in positionally. He said that uh, Hill is Working gonna, at cornerback right now. He's going to stay at corner, but... Just from the rumblings here, it seems like Holton Hill has a really good chance of making this team. It seems like it. I mean, if you if you you're seeing Mike Zimmer interact with him a lot during camp. I mean, the deal that the Vikings gave him was one of the better ones for undrafted free agents, and in terms of the money that he was given. Um, and I think yes, he's working at cornerback right now. He's got the size and build. Um, that he could be a safety, mm-hmm. and they need they need safety depth because Sandejo has gone through a lot of injuries, and I, you know, I think that behind there you just don't have you know Anthony Harris for sure, but you don't have a lot of options. I think they find a way to keep him. So you mentioned Sandejo, and and I I do too, and I think that eventually we will see him work at safety because he has that sort of size and skill set. He's a great tackler. Sandejo is a, is a player that. I wonder about regression with when you look at most of these guys and trying to figure out who might fade back when somebody has a career best year, which Sandeo did last year by pro football focus metrics, I would say 
my eye test over the last two years, his uh, season was was very good last year overall. He looks like a guy, though, considering he had that concussion at the end of the year, struggled in the NFC Championship, still hurt a little bit now, getting into that age where you worry about falling off a bit. Uh, he is one player, if there's anyone on the entire defense, and maybe Everson Griffin's sack total might go down, but I I tend to think that he could fade a little bit, and I wonder if someone else is going to have to rise to the challenge there and take a little pressure off of him. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the one person you are worried about back there, and because there's not a lot of depth, and because we saw, you know, outside of the suspension last year, I mean, he got a concussion, and he was completely knocked out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's and I, and I just think with Sandejo, I mean, you worry about how much longer he can keep playing the style and kind of that, you know, I don't know if reckless is the right word, but he's, you know, really, really aggressive. Um, and, and I mean, he's been really good, but where does, where, does he level off? Is he, is he the first one to go in that secondary, uh, in terms of the play not being where it was last year? I mean, Harrison Smith can, can do a lot. Um, I don't know if he can truly overcompensate all the time for Anderson Dejo, and that's why I think you might want to have, you know, a little bit more depth on your roster to bolster that safety position. So what else you got? I got uh, two other things on my list, but uh, I didn't know if you were sitting there with something on your list you wanted to bring up because you can. Uh, Rudolph today was kind of interesting, and just some of the stuff he said about his ankle. We talked about this before we started recording. I thought it was interesting, uh, just some of his comments. Let me let me pull this up really quick. Um, where he talked about um hold on, Kyle Rudolph. Uh he talked about just like pushing it and stressing it a little bit and, and wanting to, you know, learn the offense and, and all of that where let me find the direct quote. Um where is it? So you know, I've had five surgeries in ten years and you know, he's talking about just what um, you know, what, what that process was like, but, you know, it says, you know, you're putting an entirely new offense at first. You're thinking you'd be able to go out and do more than playing at OTA, you get six, seven, eight, starting seeing new guys, letting their playmaking, you know, he wants to get, he mentioned, I can't find the exact, here it is. I am probably going to push it as hard as I can, regardless of the situation. The game is special in the fact that we get 10 times here in OTAs, three in mini camp, and that's it for the off season. Um, that to me, I mean, for someone who's, you know, in his, he's, you know, almost 30 years old, uh, I, and that ankle injury really slowed him down at the end of the year. Um, that, that, I, I, I didn't know what to take of that. I mean, that, that was a little weird to me. And it's just kind of like he's been out practicing. Uh, he's been doing team drills. I mean, we did see him on the rehab field the last two weeks with Dalvin Cook and, and some others, but, you know, if Kyle Rudolph goes down, you don't really have – I mean, we don't know how good Tyler Conklin can be. Uh, you don't really have any other tight ends. And that kind of worries me. That's like, you know, you're talking about, you know, I kind of like slow your roll a little bit just because you don't want him to get hurt. I mean, he's a humongous asset. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins called in the mattress or something. It's like throwing <laughs> into a mattress in the red zone. I mean, he is going to help Cousins so much inside the 20 uh, to a point where, you know, this should be what helps Cousins turn turn his game around inside the red zone. I don't really get the mattress thing. Am I the only I mean, one to say that? I, I just don't get it. Like Maybe maybe because it, a, ma- a mattress absorbs, I don't know, like go jump on your bed. I have no idea. Like if you throw it into a mattress and the mattress is upright, the ball just falls to the ground. I don't get it. Okay, uh, okay Matthew, let's like quit it with semantics. 
Just well, saying, I, I just don't get, I just don't get the comparisons because maybe, he has maybe soft Cousins hands. Maybe Cousins was trying to, maybe, maybe Cousins was trying to get an endorsement deal with Sleep Number. I don't know. I don't think Cousins needs any endorsement deals. I think he's financially set for a little while. Yeah, never enough money. Unless he invests in space travel, I think he's going to be okay for now. Um, the, the the thing about the tight ends, Rudolph needs to stay healthy because beyond him. I don't know what to make yet of Tyler Conklin, a uh, fifth-round pick who looked pretty good in rookie minicamp, but uh, this was the first time we saw him today, and he doesn't really have wheels. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. He's also coming off some sort of injury because he's been on the uh, the rehab field for a few weeks now. Yeah, uh, but not quick to begin with. And David Morgan, also not particularly quick, has decent hands but isn't really a receiving option when you mentioned it, at the end of the season, when he was struggling with that ankle injury, it was a big problem. And, you know, yeah, the backup tight ends aren't something we're really going to focus too much on. But just behind Rudolph, they don't really have another pass catcher. And I didn't see a whole lot from Blake Bell last year either. That was something that they didn't really address in the draft until the later rounds and got a fringy type guy. So... Rudolph shouldn't be pressing it too hard right now. He's a guy that's going to have to stay healthy, I think, in order for the offense to fully operate the way they want it to, especially when yeah. it comes to the red zone. Well, I just, you know, I also, I'm not ready to completely cash out on, you know, Tyler Conklin isn't going to be able to be the move tight end that they wanted. I mean, maybe he's not the fastest, but I still think that John Filippo is going to be able to use two tight end sets uh, and create some mismatches. I mean, we're already kind of seeing some of them now in a very, very brief form. And yeah, you're deep. I mean, it's still, you're not, these guys aren't getting the full extent of that, but I, I think that they'll be able to in some, in some form or fashion, they'll be okay in that department, but you're right. The tight end depth is kind of suspect right now, just because outside of Kyle Rudolph, what, I mean, who do you have that can really, truly, truly, and truly be a pass catching threat? Because we don't, we just don't know the magnitude of, you know, whether of Tyler Conklin yet. Uh, last thing that I have on my list is: Are you buying Laquan Treadwell with the ones? Oh man! And you, <laughs> for now, I am because he's out there. Uh, he's looked good. He's looked good in camp, and I think they're in, you know, OTAs and. You know, we'll see mandatory minicamp. Is Stacey Coley back? I mean, I'm wondering how severe. It sounds like that injury he had is more than just a let's keep him out of OTAs because it's voluntary. I mean, Laquan Treadwell is taking his reps with the ones right now. And, you know, the fact that Treadwell is taking those reps over a guy like Kendall Wright, who they, you know, by all intents and purposes, brought in to win the number three job. Mm -hmm. Uh, makes me wonder about Kendall Wright. Uh, maybe he's not learning the playbook fast enough, or maybe they want to do it this way and kind of ease him in. Or maybe Treadwell has made the jump, and it's it's all the expectations that we expected from him when he was a first-round pick. Yeah, I don't think that number two is all that likely, uh, just based on what we saw last year. I mean, mm -hmm. it would have to be a really big leap. But if he didn't make a huge jump, but maybe just a little jump, then I think he's maybe a serviceable member of the team as a number. I mean, here, here's where I go back and forth with Treadwell. Last year, a lot of times, they just lined him up on the outside 
and it was like, okay, you go run around over there and take up a defender, and then we'll let Thielen and Diggs do what they do. And it worked really well for the overall offense. It's just that he had no production, wasn't open, and when they threw it to him, he didn't do very well. But if you're talking about being able to have Thielen and Diggs as slot receivers mixing into that spot as opposed to Kendall Wright, Thielen and Diggs have had so much success as slot receivers that you would almost prefer that outcome. I don't, we are so far away from this decision being made, but it would be not super, super surprising if Kendall Wright just didn't work out because there wasn't a role for him as opposed to, I think I'd be less surprised if Kendall Wright didn't work out than I would be if Treadwell did work out and improve, if that and makes that's, sense. And, and that's fair, just because, and I know people brought this up right after they signed him, being like, oh, they signed a slot receiver. That's going to take away snaps from Adam Thielen. No, it's not. No, it's not. Thielen is going to be prioritized in the slot over anyone. Um, I mean, even probably more so putting him there than Diggs. Uh, that's not going to ever have an effect on it. But I wouldn't, you know, Wright said it a few weeks ago, the first OTA we had, that this is a lot of new stuff he's learning that he's never even seen before. So maybe he's just taking a while to get, you know, to get onto, to get into the playbook and, and truly learn it. Maybe they're trying to slow play it that way. But um, the number three wide receiver battle is going to be one of the better position battles to watch in camp. I agree. So anything else on your list? Oh, uh, how about the CFL dude stepping up? Yeah, getting catching catch God, they were torching Marcus Sherrills today. Um It was unfortunate. Actually, yeah. Sherrills is a punt returner. Like stop. And well, I mean they were is it, is it Zils- playing him with a Zilstra. Do we have a Brand- name pronunciation here? Yeah. Um I'm not the pronunci- pronunciation expert. Here, I got a email or tweet about Isadora. And it is Isadora, not Isadora, but like play more than forty <laughs> snaps and then we'll figure it out, right? Like, I'm just kidding, but when it comes to some of the guys who are on the fringe that we don't talk about a whole lot, I've never asked them how their names are pronounced. But Zilstra, and as we go, like, down the depth chart a little bit, he's one that's got a chance. I mean, I think that this battle for the final receiver spot is one that I'm going to be really dialed into as we go into mandatory minicamp, but especially in camp when they get the pads on. Those guys are going to have to show. I mean, Corey Robinson, Zilstra is there. Even Chad Beebe is a part of this team. There's going to be uh, Caleb Jones, who was on the practice squad last year, a really interesting battle for at least one spot there. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there's a whole host of them out there right now. Uh, some of them that are probably not going to even scratch the surface of coming close to making the team. But you, you see these type of catches, uh, you know, they'll pop up here and there. I mean, Zilstra and Laquan had a really good one last week, and obviously he's making the roster just, like, figuring out in terms of the role. But, uh, you know, Zilstra today, Kendall Wright had a nice sideline grab. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the roles flush out to be because there's more bodies than there are roles, for sure. Yep, and uh, it is super early, so jumping over Marcus Sherrill's in OTAs doesn't mean much, but I figured I would just throw it out there. It happened. <laughs> He's a guy that might pop up and surprise us. And one last thing for you. Okay, I, I know I said it was the last thing, but this came to mind. Since Zilstra is a white wide receiver, shout out to NFL.com, or NFL Network, I mean, for having Adam Thielen in the top 100, and then the first two experts talking about him, players, Talk about him being similar to other white wide receivers, Jordy Nelson, which kind of makes oh, sense, man. and Julian Edelman, that made me scream inside. 
Julian Edelman is nothing I, like Adam Thielen. It's just, it's the easy argument. Like, once you've seen one, you've seen them all, right? Which is clearly not the case whatsoever. Um, I kind of wish that we would get away from that because we obviously don't see the shoe on the other foot. Uh, you're not comparing all African-American wide receivers to each other. And, you know, from a story that we, we found out earlier today, I mean, just like, you know, who are they comparing him to? The guy in Dallas at one time. Um, Cole Beasley, right? Yeah, Cole Beasley. I mean, Which is, he's like 5'8". That's, that's very weird. Um, you know, <laughs> well, there, how tall is one, Julian Edelman? 5'11"? I mean, Thielen is one thing that he has, six two. And Thielen is, yeah, Thielen is not a small or slight individual. Like, I mean, he's got... He's got build. Um, so, I mean, for me, it's just like, uh, you know, what, what you got to appreciate he puts up with it. What always comes to mind for me is, okay, so the white wide receiver thing is just, that's, it's just funny. Like, it's, it's bizarre. just, it's, it's bizarre and it's funny and it's like, how are you guys not over this yet? Or like, how do you not realize what you're doing when you compare him to Jordy Nelson? But the fact that this also happens to black quarterbacks is yep. where there's the problem when it's, Lamar Jackson is just like Michael Vick. Like, he's not really at all because Michael Vick had a much stronger arm but wasn't – anyway, like, I mean, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just yeah. so many comparisons that happen. I remember in Buffalo they were comparing, like, callers, fans, but even some media people, is E.J. Manuel going to be like Jamarcus Russell? And I, and I think that it hurts I, – I think it legitimately hurts those players. I, I don't think that it hurts Adam Thielen in any way to be compared to Jordy Nelson or especially Julian Edelman because we just kind of laugh at it. But I think it does when quarterbacks come out in the draft and they get those comparisons. I think a lot of them are really unfair. And maybe with some of the, the draft statuses of those guys have been hurt in the past, if you look at how many black quarterbacks have dropped in the draft and then become guys that sort of surprise, I mean, there's quite a few of them to think about. You know, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson. Teddy Bridgewater, so yeah. and and maybe Lamar Jackson as well, and you wonder if their draft status was was harmed in in some way by some bias there. Yep, I mean it's it's definitely I mean it's definitely a topic for another time, but it's it's a huge point. I mean, for someone like Thielen, he's he's in such a, a it's a category that we've talked about for a while, but not to the scope of African American quarterbacks all getting compared to each other. Um, it, I, I don't understand it. Uh, I think that, you know, a running, a running quarterback, like call it what it is. If you want to like, co- like talk about something being a running quarterback, but at least have like the right prototype that you're comparing them to. Right. And, and I don't really like comparing any players anyway. I mean, everybody is their own unique player and it's, I mean, the wide receivers, there have been a lot of them who are around six two, run real fast, win every route, compete really hard. And I mean, is he like, I don't know, Jimmy Smith, the former Jaguars guy, or uh, Keenan Allen from San Diego. Like, maybe, but, I mean, they're all different, and they all have different roles, and they all fit into their offenses differently, and their success is created in different ways. So it's it's just very hard for me to not eye-roll when I hear it, and then especially when it's so blatantly just because it's two white dudes, but... <laughs> anyway, I, that's the the good way to end it. So you and I are going to play golf tomorrow at the uh, Vikings um, golf tournament. Are you yeah. confident in your golfing? Uh, my golfing is better than my GoldenEye ability, I'll tell you that. Mm, uh, almost anything would be, though. I mean, even if you um, just make contact. <laughs> I uh, I went to the driving range earlier, and I've been 
been practicing actually. I played 18 over Memorial Day weekend. I'm gonna, you know, continue on with my golf game, trying to figure out. I wanted a good summer activity. My mom is a scratch golfer, so I have a long, uh, a long lineage of that in my family, and I'm kind of the failed athlete. So you it's mean, time. you mean your break it down game tape isn't a no. summer activity. Having her, it is, but having my mom coach me is maybe one of the most grueling experiences. Like if you think Zimmer chews, chews some people <laughs> out, it's, uh, I get, I get yelled at for not keeping my head down. So I'm going to keep that in mind tomorrow and hopefully, uh, hopefully we finish, uh, you know, hopefully we finish somewhere towards the top. Not last is what I'd be shooting for. I haven't hit a golf ball in two years and don't own clubs. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Should be good. Yeah, maybe. Thanks, Courtney, and thank you all for listening to the Purple Podcast. Wish us luck on the golf course. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed. The way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey, or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.